are employers that have transparency with their employees, that have the open dialogue, where they have an honest communication with employees about the issues. They see fewer complaints to OSHA. They have fewer escalated issues to outside governmental agencies. They have fewer type whistleblower retaliation claims. And it really just helps them in terms of managing employee perceptions and employee relations issues. But then with that, it does also help identify some ways you can address safety issues that maybe as an employer you're not thinking about. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for keeping safe your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Chris Schlag. Chris is an environmental health and safety attorney at Jackson Lewis, which specializes in labor and employment law. And she assists clients with a wide range of matters, including compliance with federal, state, and local regulations, of which we all know there is no small number. Chris, how are you today? I'm good. I'm great. I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Well, our key topic today is addressing regulation changes that affect employee safety. But before we begin, can you lend some context to our discussion by telling our listeners just a little bit more about your background? Jackson Lewis and your role there. Yeah, so I'm an environmental health and safety attorney with Jackson Lewis. I'm also the co-leader of our construction industry practice group. And so some of the things that we do is we help employers comply with various federal, state, and local regulations. Me specifically, I work with employers to comply with environmental health and safety regulations, and then I help them manage OSHA and EPA and any kind of ancillary government issues. So in terms of inspection, investigations, enforcement actions. We help in all of those areas. So we do a lot of advice and counsel. Jackson Lewis is a premier labor and employment defense firm, and they work primarily with employers. So we're mostly working with employers, but on the environmental health and safety side, our clients are usually looking to make sure that they have the best possible environment for their employees, which includes addressing environmental health and safety concerns. So we are also always thinking about employee safety and the employee's well-being while we're working with our clients. I like the holistic approach. Thank you for that background. That, that helps a lot. So this year, we've already seen several significant changes in the regulatory environment that are likely to impact organizations of all sizes out there, including things like a new presidential administration, uh-huh. additional uncertainties surrounding the pandemic, of course, vaccine distribution now that that's underway, and then general workplace safety requirements. What unique regulation changes are you seeing this year that could potentially affect employee safety? Yes. I mean, there's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot happening on the workplace safety side of things. I mean, you know, just at the beginning of the year, some of the things that we saw with the change in administrations is Biden's administration came out with some executive orders that directed OSHA to update their guidance on COVID, kind of gives some more clear direction to employers on what was expected to provide a safe workplace during the pandemic. And, you know, an interesting thing about the executive orders is Biden 
directed the agency to make sure they considered good science and that they were providing, you know, accurate information in their guidance, which I think is really important because it means that the guidance needs to be driven by what we know about COVID and not necessarily reacting to, you know, peer pressure or public pressure and just making sure we're doing the right thing based off of how the virus works and what we know about the virus. The Biden administration also directed OSHA to consider an emergency temporary standard. And so that means that the agency is vetting what to do with that, what that means. It could look like some of the state emergency temporary standards we've already seen. So California has one, Oregon has one, Michigan has one, Virginia has one that actually turned into a permanent infectious disease control plan standard. And there's been a lot of requirements in there. So there's requirements for employers to have a COVID prevention plan. There's requirements for employers to be managing COVID cases in a way where they are doing more screening of employees before they're entering the workplace. They're getting more information about employees that are sick. They're maintaining records about employees' illnesses that maybe they never would have done before. An example would be if you have a COVID case, you might be asking very specific details about what kind of symptoms do you have? When did they show up? Have you gotten a COVID test? What were the results of your COVID test. And those are not things that traditionally an employer would be dealing with because most of the time you would have an employee tell you, oh, I'm sick and I can't come into work. And you'd say, okay, let me know when you feel better and it's you know time for you to return. So it's already putting employers in a space where they're dealing more with some of the health issues than less of the safety issues, but it's a pretty big administrative lift for employers to hit all of those obligations. Some of the requirements in federal OSHA's guidance around COVID are not new because there's been executive orders and state orders and then a lot of health department orders that kind of drove those same requirements, but it is putting a pretty big administrative burden on employers and it's creating a lot of, I'll I'll say, a lot of paperwork about it. And it's not necessarily impacting employee safety in the way that you might think because something we do know about COVID is that you're more likely to get COVID through, you know, close contact and duration, having a longer duration of exposure. So most of the cases that I've encountered, you actually see that the COVID case can be traced to either an exposure at home or community exposure, or the community exposure was more likely than not the exposure source but we are putting all these additional protections in the workplace. And so it's interesting. It's a lot for employers to contend with. And most likely they'll see a federal emergency temporary standard this year at some point from federal OSHA. And that may cause some additional issues for them because there are other state emergency temporary standards that are already in place. And it may differ from what they're having to do to comply with those state emergency temporary standards. And there's also a possibility that it will become a permanent standard, which requires employers to have some infectious control plans and procedures in place. And a lot of times employers are so focused on the safety side of things that the extent of their focus on health is just making sure that they have a health and wellness plan and are providing benefits. And this is a whole new area and it does open the door for a lot of new things for employers. Would you say that just generally speaking, government agencies are handling COVID-19 totally differently than they would any other communicable disease? Is this just a different ballgame entirely? 
Yeah, I would say so. COVID has led to agencies kind of either stepping outside of their typical jurisdiction or stepping Mm. into something which they wouldn't typically regulate, or they're trying to enforce regulations that are really outside of their expertise. And so an example I'll give you is, but we have seen some safety agencies try and enforce requirements that the health departments are trying to impose. And oftentimes health departments don't have an enforcement arm legally, so they can just provide guidance and recommendations and then some other entity is responsible for enforcing it. And then in some cases, the state or local health department jurisdiction may not even have the ability to regulate a workplace setting under their statute or their regulation. And so you see the safety agencies stepping in and they're trying to enforce something that the health departments are requiring, which really creates this like confusion over who's supposed to be telling the employer what to do, who's going to be checking on that and how you're going to gauge compliance. Early on in the pandemic, we saw some health authorities who maybe did have an enforcement arm coming in and saying things like, well, you can't have this number of wash facilities your location open, or you have to shut down these drinking fountains, or you have to shut down, you know, these restrooms over here for social distancing purposes. And while it makes sense from a social distancing and COVID perspective to do that, it would have actually violated, you know, health and safety regulations that are in place, which require that your employees have access to a suitable number of wash facilities. And so there was no consideration for kind of, if you meet this requirement, over here in this one area, how you might be running into you're now not in compliance with this requirement over here. And we saw a lot of that too with recommendations on cleaning and disinfection. So sanitizing and disinfecting products are generally hazardous just by the nature that they are used to kill the, you know, pathogens. Um, So they're typically hazardous products, which means that you can't just necessarily introduce them into a work environment by going and picking up one of them at the store and bringing them in and having your employees use them. You have to vet the products, make sure that it's consistent with what exposures you want your employees to have, and then come in and update your list of inventories and then communicate out what those hazards are to employees, make sure they have the same safety procedures in place. So it's not an easy process. And we had agencies that were telling employers, well, just go get that you know, disinfectant from Walmart and have your employees use it. But that could have created uh, hazard communication compliance issues. It could have created hazardous materials, storage and disposal issues for employers. And so what we've seen is there's such a narrow focus on COVID that people are forgetting about all of the other regulatory requirements that can come in. And then they're also forgetting about the fact that employers have multiple regulatory things hitting them in this area. Area. And it's very different than how they would typically handle it because right. they would typically be referring it to the agency that has the knowledge and the experience and also the right oversight of the issue to make sure that the employer was handling it the right way. Wow. Well, I want to definitely come back to this because there's tremendous confusion on that. But before I forget, I did want to ask, there's one thing top of mind for a lot of our listeners, which is COVID-19 vaccinations. Are there regulations for what companies can and cannot do as the rollout continues, such as mandating employee participation? 
In typical legal attorney fashion, I'm going to tell you <laughs> that this is a really gray area. There's a lot of things to consider. In most cases, the answer is probably yes, that employers can require vaccinations. They can have a vaccination policy, but it is something that employers really need to evaluate and get legal counsel on because there's going to be federal and state requirements that impact the vaccinations vaccination rollout is done on a state and local level. And so you need to be cognizant about, you know, the impact of the rollout. But then with that, you know, there's a lot of considerations about accommodations. If somebody has a religious or a medical issue, which would interfere with them getting an, a vaccination. And then not to mention that if you are requiring vaccinations, then there's some type of an adverse event, then there's mm. a possibility that you could be liable for that. And then there's even more. If you have a program that requires vaccination and you have an adverse event, you have OSHA recording and reporting requirements from there. You may have a workers' comp problem. Mm. And you also have a big, big, big record keeping obligation <laughs> with all yeah. of this. And so it's really something that needs to be vetted and it needs to be looked at. And it's an emerging area of law. So what might work right now, you know, the pandemic circumstances are changing rapidly. And what works right now may not be something that works in six months. So employers might have to have a little bit of flexibility in terms of, you know, what are they doing with the vaccines? What are they requiring? And, and make sure they're continually evaluating those COVID circumstances. And so, I can kind of compare it to the flu, right? So if you, and not that COVID is comparable to the flu, because it's not in a lot of right. ways, but in the case of the flu, you know, a lot of employers will have voluntary vaccination programs where they will actually encourage their employees to go get the flu vaccine. Sometimes they have incentives for getting the flu vaccine. There are some jurisdictions where if you work in an area where you have an occupational exposure to the flu, that you might have have to get the flu vaccine. And there's a few other types of communicable diseases where that's the case. And it's specific to usually to healthcare environments. Right. But, you know, in other situations, for most employers, vaccinations are really outside the purview of employment. Yeah. And that's because you can usually manage the risk of communicable diseases without having to step into your employees' private, personal, and health decisions related to vaccination. And so you might see that change over time and get to the point where that's the case with COVID is that we have gotten to the point through vaccinations and through management of the pandemic where it is like the flu in the sense that there's some people where in an occupational setting, it makes sense to manage it more proactively because of their exposure risk. And then there are other employers where the vaccines, you know, maybe it's part of your kind of wellness program where you are encouraging the vaccinations. But but it's not something where you are stepping in it and actually requiring it or even, you know, having an active say and like, yeah. oh, you can go here to get your vaccinations or, or anything like that. But what I will tell you is federal OSHA, their recent guidance that came out on COVID suggests that employers should have a vaccination program and that they should be encouraging employees to get vaccinated. So there's at least this mindset that like this is something employers need to think about and and they should look at all of the legal issues before they do that.
Chris, I was looking for a yes or no answer. I'm sorry. Clearly... <laughs> <laughs> I know you wanted one, <laughs> and I was just not going to give it. So. <laughs> yeah, this, this, I mean, well, let's just come back to this whole idea that we were talking about before of all this confusion everywhere. I mean, there's just countless challenges that companies face when trying to make heads or tails of all these regulatory shifts. Mm-hmm. So maybe to bring it up a level, like from an employee safety standpoint, what are the biggest concerns for companies right now? Yeah. So I think with companies, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do from an infectious control prevention standpoint that actually work to improve the the safety of the environment, not just for COVID purposes, but for everything else. You know, our increased cleaning and disinfection, that is good for everyone. (laughs) I mean, because it helps with COVID and it helps with every other type of pathogen that we, you know, you could potentially come in contact with in the environment. And then, you know, social distancing and those engineering controls and redesign of the space. A lot of that, I think, is easy things employers can do. A lot of them are already doing it because we've known about social distancing since about like March of last year. So people are are familiar with it. They kind of understand it. And, you know, I think the administrative controls are kind of the key controls for making sure you have a safe workspace. And what I mean Mm -hmm. by those controls are telling your employees that you need to have good communication about somebody feeling sick, somebody having symptoms of illness, and if they've been around somebody who's had COVID so that you can have some sort of barrier from them coming into the workplace. And that means you need to have flexible policies and procedures for employees to stay home when they're sick. They need to feel like they're not going to lose their job or get retaliated against right. because they you know, raise the fact that they might be sick or they might have had an exposure. And so it kind of has shifted some of the discussions between employers and employees about their overall health. And that, I think, is a huge thing for safety. Well, coming back to the idea of this conflicting messages that people are getting and companies are getting with, you've got an executive order or a temporary injunction. I'm using the wrong terms. I'm not an attorney, you can tell. (laughs) But temporary this, temporary that, it's coming from the state, it's coming from the feds. Yeah. I mean, what are some examples, additional ones that people are struggling with that you're seeing out there? Yeah. So I think, you know, there is initially CDC guidance has been really difficult for employers because they don't understand how CDC guidance guidance fits in with their actual requirements, Mm. because it is just that it's guidance. So somebody has to take the CDC guidance and actually implement it in a way where this is now the requirement. And what you've got from a workplace safety standpoint is OSHA standards and regulations, and specifically the general duty clause in the Occupational Safety and Health Act requires employers to provide employees with this workplace that's reasonably free from recognized hazards, right? So the way that you do that in the context of COVID, because we recognize that COVID presents a hazard to employees because they could get really sick and potentially die from COVID is you implement CDC guidance. But if you are being told, oh, to comply with the general duty clause, I just need to implement CDC guidance. Like You take it as that means something different than I'm actually required to do these things like Uh, social distancing or use of cloth face coverings or 
things like that. So that's been a struggle for employers is understanding like, is this actually required or is this something where this is recommended and I can do it if I, you know, if it's possible for me to do. So what do you do? How do you deal with that? Yeah, Sarah, I mean, <laughs> usually with my clients, I'm working with them to say, you know, you need to implement CDC guidance to the extent you can, to the extent it's feasible and it's possible because CDC guidance kind of sets the minimum barrier of, you know, what's actually required to protect against COVID. And so if you are not complying with CDC guidance, then you may have an issue there in terms of showing that you're meeting your general duty clause obligations. And we've actually seen OSHA pursue enforcement against employers for not complying with CDC guidance under the general duty clause. I think a bigger challenge for employers is you've got these layers of requirements, right? So you have your federal health and safety regulations from a federal OSHA standpoint, and then you've got CDC guidance. But then with that, you have state order they may be executive orders or health department orders. And then you, <laughs> even more yeah. fun, you might have, you know, local ordinances or requirements that you have to comply with. And if you're a large employer who has locations everywhere and you're trying to manage things centrally, complying with all those different layers of regulations can be very difficult. Unfortunately, there's not a good answer here for employers. But what I can say is that, you know, having a rational decision making mm. process and looking at things from a scientific and rational okay. basis will help drive your decision making. And if you have a good reason for why you're doing something, then if you do run into an issue like, oh, this, you know, maybe didn't necessarily meet, you know, the OSHA requirement or or it didn't necessarily meet the health department requirement. And when I say OSHA requirement, I'm specifically thinking about the emergency temporary standards, not federal OSHA guidance right now. But if you have that type of an allegation, but you can show, well, look, here's what we looked at. Here's all of the guidance we evaluated. And here's from a rational, technologically feasible, and also practicality standpoint, here's what we could do with our business operations. You'll be in a good spot to have that discussion with both the agency and if you have a general liability issue because you'll be able to defend what action you took. But that does require that employers not react mm -hmm. so much to what's going on and have them step back and think about what is actually being required and why and having, you know, a good kind of framework for how they're going to roll it out. So it needs to be a little bit more of a, a reasoned analysis. And that can be, <laughs> I think, a struggle for people because taking a step back and a pause to evaluate something in the midst of what we've got going on right now, it can be very stressful for companies because they feel like they're not reacting fast enough. Right. But in the long run, it can be better for them because they're not creating that confusion for their employees. Makes sense. There's so many shades of gray here. We could go on for yeah. hours and hours. But if we just we take this up to like the 100,000 foot view, if you're talking to to someone, ABC Corporation, and they're just frazzled and they're like, I don't even know where to start. Like what guidance would you give someone? What are the first three things they should do as they think through this? 
Yeah, so the first couple of things that an employer should do to think through some of this is look at CDC guidance. Okay. CDC has a really excellent guidance document with <laughs> with a bunch of links, so it'll take you all over the place. That's for businesses, and so it tells businesses kind of, here's the key things you need to know about COVID, and here's what CDC thinks you can do to protect employees that are at your business. It also addresses situations like visitors coming on site, and then if you have third parties that you're working with and some considerations there. It also lists kind of the key prevention measures, such as like your social distancing, use of cloth-based coverings, and it talks about what to do when you have a COVID case, which I think is huge because it maps out what employers need to be thinking about with a COVID case in their workplace. There will be more things that an employer needs to think about beyond the CDC guidance, but it's a good starting point for them. Okay. Federal OSHA's new guidance document. It's a fun read. I mean, it's real fun, Peter. I, <laughs> I know you don't believe me. Yeah, I know you don't believe me, but it is a fun read. Uh. And that document goes through what federal OSHA expects employers will be doing and kind of how to address some of the things around cloth-based coverings. It talks about social distancing measures. It also talks about how to accommodate employees who might have some issues that make COVID a specific risk for them. It talks about what to do with the vaccinations. That's a great guidance document for them as well. And then if they are operating in multiple states, mm, <laughs> I would say yeah. they need to check and make sure that they are aware of like if there's an emergency temporary standard in their state. And then you'll also need to be aware of the state executive orders and health department orders. And you can always reach out to a Jackson Lewis attorney and we have a lot of resources to get you plugged up on that as well. That's fantastic. I'm going to start using that phrase emergency temporary standard with my kids. We have a new Do rule. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can also implement emergency temporary standards at home. <laughs> yes. So you can create one if you want to. I don't think they're going to comply, but <laughs> no. yeah, we'll try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one thing I love to do with our guests is just to ask them to give a practical tip that our listeners could implement immediately to make a positive impact on their organization. So it doesn't have to be about COVID, just in general, is you think about your career and everything you do to help all your clients, what can the audience take action on today to help improve their company's safety culture? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things I've seen work well for employers is transparency. Yeah. And so what that means is being open and, you know, having a good dialogue with employees about specific hazards and then what you're doing to control those hazards along with, you know, if you have something you need to work towards to improve in a certain area, that dialogue is really important. Our employers that have transparency with their employees that have the open dialogue where they have an honest communication with employees about the issues. They see fewer complaints to OSHA. They have fewer escalated issues to outside governmental agencies. They have fewer type whistleblower retaliation claims. Mm -hmm. And it really just helps them in terms of managing employee perceptions and employee relations issues. But then with that, it does also help identify some ways you can address 
safety issues that maybe as an employer, you're not thinking about. And it can be very simple things such as like maybe changing how you enter and exit a building or you staggering your shifts a certain way or, you know, rearranging the break room, you know, little things that you just don't necessarily think about when you're putting together the policy. So having that transparency can really help employees feel comfortable bringing forward those issues. And then if they see the company respond and say, you know, oh, we really appreciate that. We didn't know about it. Or here's what we're going to do to address that and see that follow through. You'll have, you know, your safety culture will go from, you know, a B plus to an A really quickly. So that's my big tip. And I would say it works wonders for employers. So as an employer, I think it's okay to say like, look, we are dealing with a lot, just like you're dealing with a lot. We're not always going to have the answers, but we're going to do our best. And here's what we're doing, you know, and if Mm -hmm. you have any questions or concerns, please bring them up with us so we can discuss it and, you know, come up with a resolution. And that will also get you buy-in for your safety culture as well, which is a good thing. Well, wonderful. Fantastic conversation. I appreciate all your insights and everything you've shared with our listeners. If people want to follow up with you or just connect Mm -hmm. with you, what's the best way for them to find you out there? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. Anybody can hit me up on LinkedIn. Just, you know, look up Chris Schlag. I think I'm the only, you know, blonde, blue eyed Chris Schlag that pops up along. (laughs) So, So look for that. You can also go to Jackson Lewis's website and we have a whole workplace health and safety team. There's about five Five of us that are truly dedicated to just doing environmental health and safety, and we do things nationally. So we can help out really any state that you're in and any environmental health and safety issues you are dealing with. And we also have a great COVID team. I'm on our COVID team, and we've got just a really kind of multifaceted, diverse COVID team so that we're looking at all of the issues. So it's not just environmental health and safety. We've got some wage and hour attorneys on there. We've got some disability management attorneys on there. And so we can look at the issues holistically and help you resolve them grand scale. But yeah, our website is great. And we've got a number of blogs that you can sign up for and some updates and also newsletters. So wonderful. Well, thank you again for taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate, connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.